Well, thank you, ladies, for that beautiful song. I'm a little bit responsible for that. I've, you know, Scripture says, ask and you shall receive. <laughs> and last time I was here, I just, uh, in passing, mentioned the Lord. It would be nice to hear a special number again. We always enjoy it thoroughly. It thrills our hearts, and it's just wonderful to see the Lord use gifts like theirs uh, to his honor and glory. And what a beautiful song. And uh, Thank you again. I'm sure not only I, but everybody else enjoyed and appreciated it as well. I also want to mention the uh, songs that were picked for the service tonight. Uh, speaking about the love of God is going to be very evident uh, as we look at this uh, fourth a statement of Christ from the cross. It's kind of interesting, uh, talking with a, a two or three of the brethren in the back, uh, they were sharing with me some things they had heard before uh, concerning the topic this morning, uh, which took a little bit different line than I had, but I said, well, I've never heard that before, and they kind of hinted, well, I never kind of heard <laughs> what you had to say before, and I was uh, encouraged to hear the, what they had to say. You know, it's interesting, uh, we are constantly ever learning uh, when it comes to the things of God. And when we're talking about the types of things we're talking about in looking at the uh, sayings of Christ on the cross, uh, in all honesty, uh, it's very humbling, uh, even trying to share uh, these things. You, you feel so inadequate because you're talking about things that are so far above what we can even begin to understand in the one we're going to be dealing with tonight, uh, even before I just came over, I spent a little time at Rick and Betty's at the end there just going over this, and I spent as much time, I think, in prayer as I did in looking over my notes. I mean, I've been going through them all week long, so I'm pretty familiar with those. But it's just this feeling and understanding you're talking about things, Bob, that, you know, you really have no understanding and you can't even begin to understand, let alone try to explain basically what is taking place here. So I'm saying to the Lord, you know, you're the one who laid on my heart to do this. You're the one who helped me in putting this together. And all I can do is lean upon you again tonight and trust that uh, what is brought forth is to his honor and glory. Uh, to encourage our hearts, and you're talking about all the songs and he, uh, that were sung tonight, we're focusing in on the love of God. And we talk a lot about the love of God, but there's nothing that demonstrates the love of God more than what we're going to be looking at tonight in this little statement that he made on the cross. So to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 27... In verse 46, and this is a statement that we have <clears throat> before us that he made while hanging on the cross. Matthew 27, we'll read verses 45 and 46. Now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabbathani, that is, my God, 
my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Jesus Christ, God the Son, the Son of Man, forsaken by God. Where do you begin in trying to expound on this? You know, I think, in all honesty, these words emphasize probably the most important event that has ever taken place. Now, that's kind of a rash statement, you might say. Well, you think for a moment, can you think of anything that has ever taken place that is more important than what is stated here? My God, my God. Why hast thou forsaken me? No, this morning we gathered at the Lord's table, which we do every Lord's Day morning. And we look to the Lord and lift our hearts in praise and thanksgiving. We look to our Heavenly Father in praise and thanksgiving. We look to the Spirit of God to just lead and guide us and direct us in worshiping the one who has made our salvation possible. You know, we often read passages in Scripture and talk about things at the Lord's table that deal with his sufferings on the cross. And some of those sufferings we can relate to maybe a little bit, and that would be the physical aspect of his sufferings. Now, not to the extent as to what he endured, but all of us have seen, experienced physical suffering, terrible physical suffering, things that are taking place in the world every day that are horrendous. And yet they don't compare to his physical sufferings. And yet, when you look at all the suffering that the Lord Jesus Christ endured, well, what was the greatest of all the sufferings that he endured? Well, there's no question. It's what we have in the words that he spoke on the cross here. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? See, here we have the Holy Son of God, the Son of Man, the God-Man. He was being made sin for us. He was being made sin during this period of time. And we can't relate to that. Sin to us is terrible, but not all that terrible because we do it all the time, even though we know we shouldn't. And even though we have his divine nature in us that helps us, keeps us, to some degree from sin, nevertheless, we sin. He had never sinned. And now, all of a sudden, being placed on him was the sin, the bearing, the penalty, the guilt, the wrath of sin. This is what was taking place. And you know, that's why as you think about this, I can't relate to this. 
And praise God, I will never have to. You know, the guilt, the penalty, the wrath that I deserved, I will never experience. You will never experience. But he endured it all. And you know, when you talk about the sin of the world, I just want you for a moment to just look at your own life. Uh, if you had to count the number of sins in your life, how many do you think there would be? Well, you're just one person. Now you take the sin of everybody in this room. How many would that add up to? But now we're talking about the sin of the whole world. The sin of everyone who has ever lived. Whoever will live. Every last one of those sins were laid upon him. But it goes even greater than that. It's even the idea, the whole aspect of the sin problem. The sin problem, sin in itself, that whole aspect of it was laid upon him during this period of time. And that's why when you say, well, we're going to talk about this and, and teach about this, well, we do it humbly, understanding. We do not have the foggiest idea of what he endured on the cross when he bore your sin and mine in his own body on Calvary's tree. You see, mankind had caused him to suffer every indignation possible. And you know, when we talk about the physical sufferings, we know we can go back to all Old Testament prophetic scriptures and one of the most common we always look at is the book of Isaiah, particularly chapters starting 52, verse 13 through 53, 12. And we get a pretty vivid picture of what lied ahead for the Son of God when he came into the world. You also have Psalm 22. That's another one we're quite familiar with, but there's so many others that talk about what was going to take place in the future. But then we get into the four Gospels. And you read every Gospel and it vividly tells us about his physical sufferings. What he endured. And just a statement we even used this morning. His face marred more than any man. Un almost unidentifiable. And yet, and I say this reverently, as bad as those things were, they were minimal compared to what took place that caused these words to be said. I'm not minimizing his physical sufferings, but I think we have to understand they were minimal compared to what took place that led up to these words. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now, of course, this took place 
from the sixth hour to the ninth hour. And of course, the indication here is that during this particular time, these three hours of darkness, he was in silence, total silence, as he bore your sin's penalty, guilt, wrath, in his own body on Calvary's tree. And you know, as you look at this, Graham Scro William Graham Scroge writes, this phantomless utterance must be listened to from a great distance. For who can comprehend it? In this hour, Christ was bearing the sins of the whole world. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was left forsaken that he might bear mankind's sins in their full crushing weight and by bearing save. End of quote. We've been singing about the love of God. <laughs> there is no greater demonstration of the love of God than what we see in these words that were uttered. It's interesting, this word forsaken is in the aorist tense, and thus speaks of something which took place at a certain moment. And of course, that moment was the coming of darkness, which was the sixth hour. At that moment of darkness, it began, and it went through to the ninth hour, where I've already mentioned, there's no evidence of anything ever being uttered during that period of time. But at the end of the ninth hour, and yet, and not quite the end, but at the end of the period, this is the only thing that was spoken in darkness, and it was these words. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You know, as you think about this, why was the Savior forsaken, literally, completely forsaken by God. Well, I want you to look at Psalm 22, because I think it answers the question quite simply and clearly. Psalm 22, and of course, this is where this word is prophetically stated. We're all familiar with it, but most of all, we're mostly familiar with verses, verse 1, a little bit with verse 2, but the main thrust is the beginning of verse 3. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear. And in the night season, and am not silent, but you are holy. Why did the Lord Jesus Christ have to be forsaken as he was bearing your sin and mine in the sin of the world on Calvary's tree? Because simply stated, God is holy. You say, well, Bob, I know that. Oh, no, you don't. <laughs> no, you don't. 
We have no concept of the holiness of God. Now, he's given us some insight to it. He's told us, we're to be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Well, I don't know how your life is in holiness, but I'm sure not going to tell you about mine. You know, oh, I have a vague idea because Scripture has revealed some things about what holiness is about. But we don't truly understand just how holy God is. He cannot for one second tolerate unholiness. And guess what was happening during these three hours? All of the unholiness of us and all mankind was being placed upon his dear son. That's why God had to forsake him. He's holy. And I often pray, Lord, you know, I would like to grow in holiness because I fall so far short of it. I may have a moment here and there, but you know, basically, you and I are sinful creatures. By nature, that's what we are. Any holiness in us is not us. It comes from him. It's the Holy Spirit that's within us. It's the Holy God who, before the foundation of the world, chose to reconcile, bring into harmony, unholy people to himself. And there was only one way he could do that. And that was deal with the unholiness. You see, there's several things we're going to look at as we look at this particular statement. You know, he was suffering there because God is holy. And his holiness demands justice. Because God in his holiness must disassociate himself from sin. And now when this sin is placed upon his beloved son, he no longer can associate himself with his son. Why? God is holy. And now for this three-hour period, all the sin of all mankind was placed upon him. You talk about the love of God. You know, before the foundation of the world, God was already in Christ reconciling us to himself. And the only way he could do that was to have the penalty of sin paid in full. Now, what could you have done to pay for that penalty? For your sin. Not a thing. You're unholy. I'm unholy. There is no way I could ever be reconciled to God. 
But you see, God, before the foundation of the world, determined how that could be done. And it would be done through his son bearing our sin in his own body on Calvary's tree. You see, he died forsaken by God so that those redeemed by his blood might never be forsaken by God. That's why the Lord Jesus Christ could say, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And you say, well, how can that be? I'm still in my sin as far as my nature. It's still there. But because of what took place, he paid the price for that sin. It's finished. You see why we say this is probably the greatest thing that has ever happened? Ever? You know, had the Lord Jesus Christ come into the world, which of course he did, revealed what God was like, showed us what a holy life was like, even if he had gone to the cross and suffered all the physical pain and agony and died without making this statement, what worth would it be? You see, this is what makes everything so marvelous for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. My God, my God, why? Hast thou forsaken me? And it's because he was bearing our sin. And a holy God could not tolerate it. That he had to leave his son. You know, as you, I thought further on this, there's some other things that you must consider this is one of the only times that Jesus has recorded prayers in which he did not address God as Abba. I mean, all you have to do is go back to Mark's Gospel, chapter 14, verse 36, and now we find him in the Garden of Gethsemane. And in that prayer, he says, point blank, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. That close, intimate relationship that he had with his father. This is the only prayer recorded in scripture where he does not use the word Abba, Father. He doesn't say, Abba, Father, why hast thou forsaken me? He says, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? We have to understand that he was forsaken by God. It was in the judicial sense. God now was judging the sin of the world in the one who is on the cross, paying the price, absorbing the judgment for the sin of the world. It was judicially. This had nothing to do with his relationship, the relationship. And when you think about the relationship of God, when you say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Well, we mentioned this morning that normally when we talk about God, it's a plural noun, singular in meaning. Now, I can't explain this thoroughly, and I even hesitate to even try, but you know, when I think about 
what took place at this hour. I have to believe in some sense all three persons of the Godhead were executing judgment judicially because of sin. My God, why hast thou forsaken me? We know why, and yet we don't totally understand it. We'll never totally understand it, but we do rejoice in it. And, you know, there's several other things that we think of <clears throat> as we can contemplate this. First of all, we see the absolute holiness and righteous justice of God. You know, I hear people say, I can never believe in a God who would send people to hell. Well, I probably have mentioned that before, but the bottom line is God doesn't send anyone to hell. It's a choice we make. You see, God's righteous judgment has been met right here. During those three hours, God judicially judged the sin issue once and for all. See, it's not just individual sins. Oh, yeah, they're in there. It's the sin issue. It's been dealt with. Man, it's marvelous to know. I don't understand it, but boy, I'm thankful for it. God, you see, is absolutely holy. And God demands justice, righteous justice, and has every right to demand righteous judgment when we can't go contrary to his holiness. Well, praise God, during these three hours, that righteous judgment was dealt with. I'm so thankful for that. So thankful. Like I said, as you, we don't really understand it. We never will. But we are the recipients of it, and the truth of the matter is the work of Christ is a finished work in God's eyes. You see, that's why Jesus Christ could say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father except through me. There's one God, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. There is no other name given under heaven amongst men whereby we must be saved. See, all of these verses that we quote so glibly sometimes are only possible because of what took place during these three hours when he bore the sin of the world in his own body on Calvary's tree. You know, it has been said the tragedy of Calvary must be viewed from at least four different viewpoints. First of all, at the cross, man did a work. And you and I were included in this group of mankind. Yeah, we weren't there physically, but we were represented there. Man did a work. 
And what kind of work did man do? Well, unfortunately, they displayed their depravity by taking the perfect one and with wicked hands nailing him to the cross. Man did a work, and you and I were included in that. Had we been alive at that time, who knows what we would have done in relationship to this. Secondly, at the cross, Satan did a work. Sometimes we forget, you see, how much he hated God. He hated the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, he manifested his enmity and hatred against him because we were told in Galatians 3.15 how the woman's seed would be bruised by his heel. Satan did a work. Oh, he was really rejoicing that day. But we also know from the account in Genesis, yes, he may have bruised his heel, but in doing so, his head was crushed. It was during these three hours that Satan's head was crushed. No longer had power over anything. Thank, I'm so thankful and I thank God every day that I have victory through the Lord Jesus Christ over sin, death, the grave, the evil one. Because you see, Jesus Christ's death took care of the evil one. Yes, Satan did a work that day, but it was to his demise in the end. At the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ did a work. I enjoy 1 Peter 3.18. It says it quite simply. What was the work he did? He died, the just for the unjust, by pouring out his wrath on the one who was made sin for us. That's the work the Lord Jesus Christ did on this day. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says it, and we all know that verse very well. But he, God, made him, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, sin for us who knew no sin. Why? That we might be made the righteousness of God in and through him. Jesus Christ did a tremendous work on this day. And finally, of course, God did a work at the cross. He exhibited his holiness and satisfied his justice by pouring out his wrath on the one who was made sin for us. Oh, in this great work on the cross, look at the things that were accomplished. The work of atonement. The work of propitiation. The work of sin-bearing, the work of judgment, the work of wrath-enduring was once and for all accomplished. All those things were accomplished during this three hours. Here we also see the supreme evidence of Christ and God's love for us. That's why I mentioned the songs tonight just tied in beautifully. There is no greater demonstration of God and Christ's love for us than this. The scripture reveals 
great truths about God's love for us. And we aren't going to be looking at many different passages, but we've already mentioned several times today, 1 John 4, 8, God is love. That's his nature. But we also know that he, he didn't just tell us his, he was love. John 3, 16, which we quote, and we quote so glibly, so quickly. But think about it. God so, and the key word here, I think, is that little word so. God so loved the world, mankind, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. That's how much he loved us. And when you look at these words that were spoken on the cross, these four, this fourth statement, all you see just how much and how supreme the evidence is of God's love for us. Can't escape it. It's just there. And how we praise God for it. Also, history has revealed evidence of God's uh, and Christ's love for us. And this was manifested the love of God towards us that he sent his only begotten son into the world, that the world through him might what? Live. Our sin would have caused us without any hesitation, death, spiritual death. You know, we think a lot about physical death. It's sad and it's tragic in some ways, but it's nothing compared to spiritual death. Separation from God. Forever. Think about that. Now, since the Lord has been in my life for 50, 60 some years now, I can't imagine life without Him in my life. You know, I, I'm far from one who pleases Him all the time, but I'm sure you can relate to that. But I know He loves me, I know He cares for me. I know he's coming for me, whether it be through the valley of the shadow of death or through the trump, it really doesn't matter. I'm going to be with him someday. You know, one of the verses that really kind of, I don't like to use the term blow my mind because it's always associated with something that's very negative in the world. But the idea is it just boggles your mind. In Hebrews, we read about the fact, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, the shame, all that went with it. And even these three hours, he knew before the foundation of the world he was going to be dealing with this. And yet for the joy that was set before him, he was willing to do it. Well, what was the joy that was set before him? was that you and I could be with him. I mean, that, that's a staggering thought. <laughs> you know, I look at myself and I say, well, why in the world would he want me to be with him? And I'm sure you're going to ask yourself that same question. But he does. He wants us to be with him. That's why he did this. You talk about love. We are very unlovable people. 
I hope that doesn't offend you, but it's true. We are very unlovable people. We had no love for God. We could have cared less about God than ourselves. But because of his great love for us, he loved us so much that he endured what he endured here. That was the joy that was set before him to endure the cross and despise the shame. Well, our time is just about gone here and it's just as well because we're just about finished with this anyway. Here we also see the basis of our salvation from sin. God provided the means of salvation. Make no mistake about it. Salvation is of the Lord. Totally, completely. The only reason we have salvation, the basis of it all, is from these words, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? There he gained our salvation by paying the penalty and the guilt and the wrath that we endured. God provided the way of salvation. And you know, all that's left for us, and it's so simple. All we have to do is listen. You know, in John 5, 24, Jesus said, He who will hear, listen with a view of obeying my word, and believe him who sent me. All we have to do is willingly listen and accept Believe the Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father and what they say about the Son. And what we're saying about the Son is vividly seen here in this little phrase. That during these three hours, God loved us so much, he poured his wrath on his own Son to secure your salvation and mine. That's the only reason we have it. All we have to do is accept it. I hope there's no one here tonight foolish enough not to accept it. Not to be willing just to accept what God says. You know, God said before the foundation of the world that he was going to reconcile us, bringing us into harmony through his son. That's the only means of salvation. God determined that before the foundation of the world. But he also determined before the foundation of the world how we can receive it. And that's all we have to do is accept it. Listen with the view of obeying what the Lord Jesus Christ has said, what God has said, what they have done, and salvation is yours. I'm so thankful tonight that my salvation doesn't depend on me at all. And I, I trust you feel the same way. <laughs> we would be in hopeless doom. But because of what he has done during these three hours, salvation is ours through the person and the atoning work of Christ on the cross. I just want to close with this little saying, God's truth concerning his great salvation from sin is so wonderfully balanced that it forces no one but leaves everyone without excuse. God will never make you. 
accept him. He doesn't force himself on anyone. But you see, he leaves us without excuse. No one will ever say, as they stand before God, at the, at the great judgment at the end, I'm going to hell because you're sending me there. It's not true. They'll be there because they chose to be there. They refused to listen to what the Lord Jesus Christ said and what God the Father said about the Son and the only way of salvation. Oh, the depth and meaning in Christ's statement, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now, that's the end of my lesson. Have I covered it? I doubt it. But hopefully we've gotten you to think a little more about it. And just rejoice in the fact God loved us to the point where he was willing to bear our sins penalty himself. God bore our sin through his son that we might have eternal life. Truly, this is the greatest thing that has ever taken place. Maybe we rejoice in it, and maybe we truly praise and thank him for it. Shall we pray? Our gracious God and dear Heavenly Father, how thankful we are for the love of God. How thankful we are that before the foundation of the world, God was already in Christ, reconciling us unto himself. Tonight we have looked at that little phrase that was stated from the cross by our blessed Savior that made it all possible. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He was forsaken because he wanted us to be with himself. We're so thankful tonight that Jesus paid it all. All to him we owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he has washed it white as snow. Help us to rejoice in the God of our salvation. And may we truly seek to live holy lives before thee. We realize we must rely and depend upon thee and thee alone to bring this about. But we know that you are ready, willing, and able to do whatever needs to be done to help us to walk in a manner that is pleasing unto thee. Thank you again, Lord, for all that you've done for us, for all that you're yet to do. Part us now with your blessing. Bring us to our various homes in safety, we pray. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.